Again, uh, we're in Mark chapter 6. We're continuing our series going through Mark. And we're in the second half. We're going to do starting in verse 30. Um, So let us give our attention uh, to God's perfect word. From Mark chapter 6, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourself, by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out of the, on the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw, and they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. We'll read that that last section later in the sermon. This completes our reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful that it always accomplishes what you desire. Lord, I've read it, so no matter what else happens, In this time, Lord, your word has been read and been heard. And so I pray those seeds would bear fruit. But Lord, I now desire by the power of the Holy Spirit to preach and explain what this text is talking about. So help me, Lord, I pray. I pray for them that that your same Holy Spirit would enable them as they listen to be that good soil to hear and receive. It would not be like those who look in a mirror and walk away and forget, but rather they would be doers of the word, not merely hearers. Lord, I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, as we begin this morning, I want to ask, do you ever have days that don't go as you intended? I have days like that. You know, the days when just everything's going wrong and it's just surprise after surprise, 
Um, today is one of those days for me. Um, that wasn't originally in my notes. What do you know? And so today has been very unexpected. And so I, I come slightly disheveled and, and I was just, the whole morning, the, the center of our whole text, the center of the whole sermon is nine words. Jesus will say in verse 50, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So I've told myself that about 50 times today. I hope you too will go from this place and do the same. And that you might even remember that the next time you have days that don't go as you planned. You see, we are some of the wealthiest in the world. You might not believe that, but if you were actually to look at average salaries of world population, you would find yourself definitely in the top 10% of the wealthiest people on the entire planet. Interesting, huh? You don't feel like that because most other people here or around you make similar incomes to you. And you know some people that make way more than you and say like, they're the rich people. I'm middle class or I'm average, right? It's not so if you look at all the world population or you look at all history. Look at the history of humanity, of what ability, buying ability we have, the comforts, the leisures, all those appliances in your kitchen, right? None of people didn't have all those things. The cars we travel in, why do I tell you that? Because those things give us a sense, a false sense of being self-sufficient, right? I doubt any of you were worried about the food you would eat this week. Or that would you have any way to get from point A to point B or would you still have employment tomorrow or, right? Many of, much of the world lives hand to mouth, right? They live with a constant feeling. They know I am dependent. If things don't go well, I might be out of a house, out of a meal, right? And so because of that, God has other ways, right? Don't the, both the wealthy and the poor get sick? Yep, so sickness is one of those things that is kind of across the board. What about rebellious children, right? Does anyone have any rebellious children? Don't nod too big because your kids might be sitting beside you. But that happens. I mean, it's not just a, a poor man's problem. It actually, it's probably more the reverse. The rich actually probably have many more rebellious children. And just that, that helplessness to have a teenage, a young adult child who's, who's in rebellion. Like you can't do anything, right? I mean, you, you talk to them and they ignore it, right? And so <clears throat> thankfully, the Lord has not given me that trial. But, but some of you, he has. And many people suffer from that. So hard. We are dependent. We are often way more helpless than we realize. This is important because of the passage we're going to look at. The passage, we're going to have three miraculous stories, and Jesus allows his apostles to feel kind of helpless multiple times for their own good. Look at the page seven. You're going to see how we're going to lay this out. We're answering the question, how can you take heart and not be afraid? Three answers. From our passage, Jesus provides for our needs. Second, he overcomes our obstacles. Third, Jesus heals our bodies. So let's look at that first one. Why can you take heart and not be afraid? Because Jesus provides for our needs. Look at verse 30 and through 32 again. So here's the scene. Remember last week he sent out the disciples two by two. They had a great adventure, great mission trip. They're probably really exhausted. They come back. They're telling all their great stories. Jesus, you won't believe what happened. They're probably all interrupting each other, right? You've seen when people are all real excited. And Jesus is like, okay, why don't, you guys are exhausted. They're, Jesus, right, the people were coming and said they didn't even have leisure. Look at there. It says, the apostles returned and told him all that had been done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. I don't know if you've ever had work days 
where it was so pressed you didn't even have time to stop for lunch. Or you skip dinner and you just work straight through into the evening. Those aren't really fun days, are they? We've all had those. This was Jesus' normal day, right? Because there's so many, there crowds that just flocked and he couldn't get a break. This was there. And so he says, okay, we're gonna take a spiritual retreat. I had one. You were so kind to allow me to have a spiritual retreat. It was great. How did it go for Jesus? Let's look. How'd it go? He goes to a desolate place. Let's see, verse 32. They went away in a boat to a desolate place. Oh, but look, many saw them going, recognized them, and they ran there on foot ahead of them. So even Jesus has plans to get foiled. Even the Son of God can't even plan a spiritual retreat and not get interrupted. It's interesting, isn't it? So here, here they are. He lands on the shore. And how would you expect? How would you feel? Right? You've, you've planned this out and you finally, you get there and there's this huge crowd already there. Right? You're like, get out of here. Right? We're, we're, we are not here for you. We have a plan and you're not part of it. No. Look, how does Jesus respond? You see it there. It says 34. When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, didn't get annoyed. He had compassion on them. We talked a few weeks ago about how we all feel about interruptions. Most of us do not like interruptions, right? Jesus, no. He, did, he often, he was constantly being interrupted because they were like sheep without a shepherd. See, he saw that mass of people and acknowledged they are like helpless sheep. Sheep, if you know, they're very helpless animals. They need like a shepherd to lead them to food, lead them to water. They are not self-sufficient at all. And he knew people are like that. We are all like that, whether we realize it or not. And so God allows at certain moments that we're more aware of that, of our dependence and, and our need for him to sustain us. And so that's how he sees these people. Okay, so fast forward. He's now taught again all day late. I guarantee no lunch break. He's, it's now late, no dinner. And the disciples are watching and looking and their stomachs are rumbling. They're like, so look at verse 35 and 36. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. See, not only their tumble, their tumble, their stomachs are rumbling, but they've got thousands of people. And you don't want thousands of hangry people, right? That have no food and there's no way they can get to it, right? Because they're just mesmerized by Jesus' teaching. And disciples are like, oh, we, we need to do something here, Jesus. We, we got a problem on our hands. Okay, so what does Jesus do? Let's look, there's gonna be a back and forth interaction in the following verses. They say that to Jesus. Hey, here's a problem, here's a solution. Send them away. Now, if, if you realize, this is a common answer for the disciples. Their answer often is, send them away, right? The little children come to Jesus and he's like, send them away. He's done this many times. They'll, their solution is, well, get out of here, right? Don't bother me, don't bother the master. But Jesus says, no. What does he say? Look. So 35, 36, send them away. 37, but he being Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Okay, now what are they going to do? This is interesting, huh? I mean, they're like, uh, and so look, they, you see their, their confusion. Shall we go, the next verse, shall we go and buy 200 denarii? A denarii is a day's labor. So 200 days labor, Okay. Whatever you make, take 200 days of that. So two-thirds of your year, yearly salary. Then we're going to go buy that bread. How are we going to get it back? Like we don't have wagons to like bring back bread for thousands of people. 
This is impossible, Jesus. There is no conceivable way that we can solve the problem that you've put in front of us. Aha, now you're starting to get it, Jesus is saying, right? Because he, he's, he let them realize, okay, you, you go solve the problem and we have no way to solve it. They say, so look, it, the conversation continues. So Jesus says, well, what do you have? Go see. They're like, okay. So they go see, and in the parallel in the other Gospels, it says there was a lad who had five, five loaves and two fish. So I guarantee there was some mom who sent the one person of the 5,000 prepared, right? Son, take some food with you. You're going to need it, right? Everyone else didn't prepare very well. Okay, so we got one smart kid who's got some food. So they say, this is what we got, Jesus. And so they're thinking, like, look, this is all we've got. This is it's still a very impossible situation. But Jesus, the whole time, in John's gospel, he says that. The whole time, Jesus knew what he had planned to do. He had planned to do a miracle. Well, then what with all, why all the charades? Why are you telling them you feed them and helping and say, go, what do you have? Because he wanted them to realize they were dependent. They had a problem they could not fix. It was bigger than them. Do you have any problems that are bigger than you? A problem that you can't fix on your own. God often allows those very intentionally so that we will come to him in desperation and say, we, we've got five loaves of fish and two, or five things of bread and two fish. We, there's no possible way we can solve this problem. Ah, but this is Jesus we're dealing with. Look at the next verses, 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He broke the loaves. Now, we don't know how this actually happened, but somehow he's breaking loaves. And then you just, does he like keep breaking them and handing them and, and just, they take them? Like, how does that work? But somehow he just keeps doing that and it, it multiplies. God does a miracle and 5,000, does it, does it say 5,000 people? Look at the verse. I heard a no. Whoever said that is correct. Those who were, were 5,000 men. He's not being sexist. He's just saying heads of households. It's an easier way to count. You're counting households. Well, in every household, you also have wives and children. So you easily have fifteen to 20,000 people. Have you been in a, at a ball game or something with 15 to, 15 to 20,000 people? That's a lot of people. Can you imagine that mass of people and Jesus is feeding them from five loaves and two fish? I mean, it's an unbelievable scene. Jesus was teaching them. Yeah, you have a problem you cannot solve, but I can solve it. You see, we are confined by the material world. Jesus is not so confined by that. We have limitations, and he does not. And he wants to teach them this. I want you to think for a moment. Let's rewind to the Old Testament. Can you remember a time in the Old Testament when the people of God were out in a desolate place and they had nothing to eat, and God supernaturally provided food for them? Does that ring a bell from the Old Testament? The manna. The manna, so um, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. Moses had brought them out, and they're out in the wilderness. They have no food, and they're like, we're going to die out here. And God sends manna. Pretty cool, huh? And so now this is much better than manna. Now you've got loaves and fish that now this huge miracle. And the reason I bring that up is some of you might have actually opened up to the first half of your Bible at some point and said, what in the world is going on here? This is stuff that happened thousands of years ago. What do I do with this? This is one of the things you do with it. 
not only do you see that God took care of Israel, but you also see that there's something better, that Jesus over and over, and we're gonna look at that some more, but over and over you see that Jesus does something more miraculous than we did in the Old Testament. So here he is feeding these 5,000. Can you think of anyone else? Well, let's go back. I just want to review. We've, we've been coming through. Some of you haven't been with us. Do you remember when uh, Jesus faced Satan in the wilderness? Remember that whole thing? So Adam faced Satan, and it didn't go so well, right? And so then Jesus was the new Adam. Faced him, temptation. He failed. Jesus passed the test, right? But then another one is David and Goliath. Some of you kids, that might be, you might really like that story, David and Goliath. So Jesus faced a greater Goliath, right? And so then it said, he bound the strong man. He plundered his house, right? And so the, if you know that story, after Goliath was killed, the Israelites were able to go plunder the Philistines. And so Jesus is doing that. He's casting out demons, thousands of demons, sometimes in one person. Right? And so you see over and over, and that's just a few. As you read your Old Testament, just think about it. Is there anything like this in Jesus? You'll find often there is. And the point is, is that Jesus not only fulfills the Old Testament, but is something greater. And all that God was kind to send prophets and David and Moses, but he was even kinder to send his own son. So application from the Old Testament, take heart. God's got it under control. Application from this, take heart. It is I, Jesus will say. Don't be afraid. He's going to take care of you of all your needs. Okay, so now we're going to rewind and hit replay. Just a different, the same story, different circumstances. Our second point, Jesus overcomes our obstacles. How can we take heart and not be afraid? Jesus overcomes our obstacles. Look at the next story, verse 45. Okay, so that's over. We had crazy, they're all, you know, still like, wow, that was a lot of food. They picked up what was left over, 12 baskets. It's a lot of leftovers. Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. Okay, so he sends his disciples off. Okay, how tired is Jesus at this point? Right, he already, they were exhausted, and he took them for their spiritual retreat that didn't work, and he ended up teaching all day. He's just done this huge miracle, distributed food to 5,000, collected all the, or 20,000 probably, collected all the leftovers. What would you be thinking after all this? I need a nap. Look at what Jesus does. He sent them away. He went up on the mountainside, Look, 46, he went up on the mountain to pray. To pray? Yes, to pray. It's nighttime. He's been going at a crazy breakneck pace, and he's going up on the mountainside to pray. You know, it's actually one of the core values of our church because it was a core value to Jesus. You look at how much, how much of a priority prayer was to Jesus, the Son of God. He would spend a better part of that night in prayer, communing with the Father. Communion with the Father, where, where he often would say, I have bread that you know not of, for he spent time with the Father. So, okay, he prays. Then what happens? It says after that, okay, so he's up on the mountain, 47. And when evening came, the boat went, was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat with headwind, so as you're blowing against you, it's not much fun. I mean, you've even walked on a really windy day. It's not even fun to walk in it. So they're, they're here rowing, and it's not going well. About the fourth watch of the night, this is between 3 and 6 a.m. So obviously Jesus prayed most of the night. What have they done most of the night? They've done this. 
With wind blowing against them, there's a storm, there's waves. They're not having fun. I love this. Look at the next. It says, he came to them walking on the sea. That's all it says. The Bible understates things just a little, you think? Oh, you see, he was walking on the sea. Novels, you know, you have like a chapter of what it was. I mean, it wasn't even a still lake. I mean, that's a miracle just to walk on a, a placid lake. He was walking on like a cra- crazy wind and waves. And I mean, they can't even row a boat. And he's just walking. Like, I mean, is he walking like up and down the waves? He's walking through the waves. But he's doing it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Again, we are confined by this material world. Jesus doesn't have those same boundaries. Right? They have been paddling. Do you ever do that? Do you ever have something, whether it's a house project that's not going well? I've had those. I know you do. A financial problem you just can't turn around. A relationship. Whatever the problem, right? There are lots of problems we have. And you're like, you're just painfully making progress. The wind's blowing against you and you feel like you're standing still. Jesus, on the other hand, how did he spend that time? Well, he was praying with the Father and they just caught up with him. He just walked on the water. I think we do that sometimes. That rather than actually turning to God, we're like, well, I need to paddle. I need to row harder. If I row harder, then we're going to actually make some progress. I think one of the lessons from this is turn to God. God can actually overcome the obstacles. We see the contrast between Jesus and the disciples. But here he is. He comes up to them, surprises them. Oh, wait, let's go back to the Old Testament. You remember about Israel? Has Israel, did, ever, did Israel ever walk on water? Well, not exactly. But did they ever walk through? Remember the Red Sea? Remember, so Moses, it parted the Red Sea and they walked on dry ground. They thought that was amazing. No one had ever done that before, right? That they're, to have a parted Red Sea. Jesus comes along. He walks on top of the water. No need to split that stuff. I'll just walk right on top. Unbelievable. Jesus was the greater Moses. Okay, so what happens? He gets to them. So there it is. In 48, they're making headway. It's the fourth watch of the night. 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they said, this could only be the Christ. Who else would be walking on the water? No, they thought it was a ghost. Okay, so they're a little bit superstitious. I don't know if they read their horoscope, but they're kind of superstitious. They think it's a ghost and they're crying out. I mean, I would probably be crying out too. They all saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them. And here it is. Here's the center of our whole morning. And what does he say to them? These nine words. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be. We're going to break this down in three pieces. Take heart. It also can be translated, take courage. Well, how can we take courage? We're in a storm and you're walking on water. This is kind of a weird situation. What was the next three words he says? It is I. Actually, literally he says, I am. Okay, we're going to go back. This is Moses' morning. Go back to Moses. Remember how Jesus revealed himself? I mean, God revealed himself in the burning bush. In the burning bush, he said, Pharaoh's going to ask me, who's sending me? What do I say your name is? And God says to say, what does he say his name is? I am. I am. am." And this is what Jesus says. He says, take heart. I am. Now, for a good Jew, you know all the disciples know what that means. He's claiming to be deity. He's saying, I am God walking on this water. You can take heart. Have comfort. It's okay. It's just a storm. I'm just walking on the water. Everything's going to be right here. Don't be alarmed. It is I. I am God, he was saying. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. How many times does the Bible say that? I mean, there are numerous times, the Old and New Testament. Do not be afraid. 
Do you ever get afraid? Kids, do you ever get afraid? You scared of the dark? Something under your bed? Scared when you're alone? If, any, if you say yes to any of those, you'd be like me. When I was a kid, I greatly struggled with fear, even into my young adult years. All kinds of fears. It was a big part of my life, and so I can relate with you. So could the apostles. Fear is a big part of our life. Even as adults, there's things we fear. It might not be the dark and the boogeyman, but we have other fears. And some of them are, are realistic. They're things that actually could realistically happen to us, and some have happened, and it's scary. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Kids or parents, what do you say to a child when they run to you, when you're scared? Right? The child runs and you say, I'm here. It's okay. Give a big hug. You embrace them. It's okay. You don't have to be scared. Mom's here. Dad's here. And so Jesus says, I am here. I am here. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And so are to be not self, we are, we are not self-sufficient. We should not depend on ourselves. We trust in the Lord. So when he does bring obstacles, we know what to do with them. Look at the, how does that, look at the end of that. Let's read the end of that story. So he gets in the boat with them and the wind ceased. That's not the first time we've read that, right? Remember before? They were in a boat with him and he, he told the wind to be quiet and it did. For they did not, okay, they're greatly astonished. Look at 52. See if you can figure out what this means. For they did not understand about the loaves for their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. Remember the last story was the loaves. They didn't get the point that God, uh, Jesus is powerful. He's all powerful. He's able to do anything. And so if you have needs, he can provide your needs. If you're in a boat and there's a man walking towards you on the water, it's probably the same man who fed all those people, but their hearts were hardened. You, you are listening this morning to the great works of God. And some of you have been hearing them week after week. And how is, what's your heart doing? How's it doing? Is it hardened or is it soft? If it's hardened, it's just kind of like a history lesson. This is not a history lesson. You are encountering Jesus, the same Jesus who lives today. He's here present this morning. You cannot see him, but his spirit is here called the Holy Spirit. And we're learning about him. You know, scripture warns us of a hard heart. Romans 3 says, none are righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. See, all of humanity is like this. We all came into this world with hard hearts. If you have young children, you know this. You don't have to teach your children to have to be hard-hearted. They did that very naturally. Is that still true of all of us apart from Christ? There's a big asterisk to that, right? None are righteous except for Ephesians 2 says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't do much. For God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. You see, the disciples, they were not getting all these stories. They had experience after experience, and they weren't getting it. Until afterwards, at Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit, and they looked back on it, and they understood all these stories. They wrote the Gospels, finally getting it. And if you ever had that, when you finally something clicks, it did for the disciples. Does it for you, I ask? Does it for you? Do you understand that every obstacle you have, the Lord is greater than? Every need you have, the Lord is greater than. He can provide for every need that you have. 
We come very briefly to this last section. Look at verse 53. So if this isn't enough, Jesus does more miracles. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gesserat and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. You remember that theme? They ran from the whole region. They brought all their sick people on beds, wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came in villages and cities and countryside, they laid their sick in the marketplace and implored him that they should touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Everyone that touched him was healed. You see, Jesus is sovereign over our bodies. Do you have aches and pains? Some of you have aches and pains. Some of you really have aches and pains. You have major chronic illnesses that have gone on for years and years. Is God greater than that? Absolutely. Can he heal it today? Absolutely. Will he? I'm not sure. But what I do know is that he will give you a new body. Right? So all these people he healed, they died. I mean, later they died, didn't they? Right? So he made them better, and then later they died. So I mean, they were healed for then, but their real need, our real need is for eternity. Most of your existence is not on this earth. It's in heaven. And that's where he gives you a new body. And so just to remind you, God is greater than any illness. So he's greater than your needs. Remember, that was the first thing we looked at in the feeding of the 5,000. And then secondly, he's greater than any obstacle you have, like being in a boat with strong headwinds. And then finally, he's greater than even illness. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. That is my hope. I hope it's yours. I hope it's yours. As we said from the beginning, we are quite wealthy, but we must humble ourselves or the Lord will humble us. You see, our dependence is inevitable and he will make sure that we're reminded of it for our own good, that we do not trust in ourselves. Have you ever seen someone on life support? I saw my grandmother on life support. It's a sad sight. I mean, on life support, literally they can't, their body, their organs can't do the functions. And they have an oxygen thing that's breathing for their, for their lungs. They might have a pump. They might have a feeding tube. Right? It's, it's really, really sad. Actually, these, all these machines, are we on life support? Did you know that all humanity is on life support? Brandon said, I think, in the beginning of the service. It, it, this says this. This is Isaiah 42. It says, he who created the heavens, stretched them out. He sprouted the earth. He gives you breath and spirit of all those who walk in it. So literally, he is sustaining your body now. And if he did not sustain your body, it would collapse. When we're very weak and sick, we are aware of that. And so I remind you of this, that even though you're wealthy, even though you have cars and dishwashers and everything you need, plenty of food in your cabinet, money, most of you have money in the, in the checking account, but we are on life support. And the Lord is sustaining our lives and wants us to depend on him. And so remember these nine words on just the days like mine that don't go the way you want or really big problems that really scare you. Take heart. It is I, he says. Jesus is with you. He promised he would never leave you, never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for those words. I pray they would sink deep into my soul. I need them. They need them. Whether they need them today or will this week or next month. But Lord, 
Thank you that you don't let us go through our whole lives thinking that we're self-sufficient, tricked and deceived. But Lord, though our light and momentary sufferings that don't always feel that way, Lord, you use them to bring us to you. I pray, Lord, that you would bring my brothers and sisters on their knees before you, whether for the first time for their salvation or for the hundredth time, for you to sustain them again through another trial, another day. Thank you, Jesus, for your comfort. Thank you that indeed we can take heart. Thank you that it is you and we do not need to be afraid. Lord, I pray that those words would sink deep into our souls for our own good. In the name of Christ, amen.